This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Chris Overton is the VP of Cloud Engineering at Open Source Leader Elastic, a globally distributed company with engineers in more than 30 countries. Chris and Ledge discuss how supporting remote work is an unparalleled competitive advantage that allows for hiring the very best people, regardless of location. When the entire world is your candidate pool, you're going to be hard to beat, and commercially available technology now makes that easier than ever. After a full career of remote work, Chris is a wealth of tactical tips, including how precise and deliberate communication is job one and how being a micromanager is a death knell for your team. Bottom line, if you don't want to empower and trust, you're going to fail. Chris, thanks for joining us. Cool to have you here. Yeah, great to be here. Can you give a two or three minute introduction of yourself and your your work for the listeners to get to know you a little bit? So sure. Um, so I'll, I'll start with where I am now and then I'll kind of work, work back through my history. So I'm, I'm currently the VP of engineering uh, responsible for cloud at Elastic. And um, it's uh, Elastic is a great distributed company. We have, uh, we have folks all over the world. Literally, I think we're covering more than 30 countries in Elastic and um, have a pretty large team here in cloud at Elastic. And um, we've built that team, as I said, as a worldwide team for, for some various reasons, which we'll go into the details of a little later, I think. But um, my history, you know, I, I spent, um, I'm, obviously, I'm currently a, a, a higher level engineering manager, but I started out my career um, in a small startup as, as a developer. I think I was the third or fourth developer hired there and um, worked in that company for um, several years. The company was eventually acquired by by uh, a larger company in the in the security space. Most of my background has been, uh, before coming to Elastic, in fact, almost my entire career has been in some flavor of security software. Spent a lot of years working in the um, antivirus world, doing um, very low-level stuff, uh, reverse engineering of, of antivirus executables and, and uh, designing and developing scanning and removal and quarantine engines for antivirus products. Um, moved moved sort of expanded out of that into um, the security portions of network scanning. Um, I had to work for a company where we, we did a lot of um, content filtering and those sorts of things. And then um, back into the antivirus industry for a few more years, um, doing a lot of data collections and analytic work, um, ran, ran their cloud environment and, and um, it was a good experience and sort of shifted into the cloud world. And, the last few roles I've been in over the last, I don't know, eight years or so, 10 years or so, have been more focused on cloud technologies and and um, still with a little bit of a security bent because that's kind of where I started. And uh, But, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. And I, you know, before we connected, I read some of your work online and articles that you've written about distributed team management and leadership. And you talked about, you know, engineers across 30 different countries I think remote and distributed now is becoming, you know, sort of the must have thing for people who are particularly in, in a constrained, you know, technical labor environment. Uh, so just maybe talk about that, you know, some of the successes that you've had there, what works, uh, what doesn't, and how can people maybe dip their toes into just starting to grow a fully distributed team? 
Yeah, so um, I think a good place to start here is just to talk about what is a distributed team um, and, and what, is it, what does that word mean? What does that phrase mean? Um, people have different concepts of this, but for me, there's really two aspects to it. There are essentially situations where you, I, I can kind of split this into two parts, right? It can kind of split it into a distributed team, which would be a team where um, not all the members of the team are in the same physical location, city, office, whatever. So um, when you have a distributed team, you're typically dealing with, with at least more than one time zone. So um, that, that comes with a set of challenges, and that's, that's one thing. Um, when you're talking about remote employees, um, remote employees are, are, by my definition, employees that, that primarily do not go to an office. They may work in an office one day a week, or they may not work in an office at all. They may live in a location where there's no office for their company available to them. Um, and so, you know, at, at most of the places where I've worked in the past, we've had some combination of both. And um, so having kind of defined the definition of what remote and distributed means to me, I think it's worth answering the question, why? Why would you want to do that? I think people that have worked in companies that have traditional office environments can see the advantages, you know, and, and there are some strengths to, to having folks be in an office. Um, but I don't think there, that those strengths are anything that you can't get with a distributed um, and remote and distributed team. But why might you want a distributed team? Well, I mean, the simple answer, really, there's kind of two, two main answers to that that I give people, one of which is the ability to, to find and hire the absolute best people in the world. Um, when you're trying to hire people into specific offices, you're really pretty limited in terms of your candidate pool. You have to really choose from candidates who either are already local to wherever your offices happen to be or are willing to move there. And um, more and more, that candidate pool is getting smaller and smaller. Um, people in the in the um, tech industry have learned that the tooling has gotten to the point. Video conferencing and 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 Slack and some other tools like that have have created an environment where you don't really need to be physically sitting in an office. So um, that's that's that. Um, from from as far as the history goes, you know, I have a long history with this. I've been been a remote and distributed employee almost my entire career. And so I learned some lessons early on um, about you know how to make these things work, and then um, and then to some degree it, it also comes down to to how you hire. So having the world be your candidate pool is a big advantage. At the same time, you have to consider how the um, how you think about these candidates and the and the types of of um, personalities of, of the people you're hiring and what their priorities are and how they approach um, thinking about how they come to work every day and how how dedicated they are. There's a there's a, a certain um, set of kind of personality traits that, that employees need to have to do well in a distributed and remote environment. Um, having said that, I, I think these are things that can be taught. You know, I, I don't think it's something you're necessarily born with or just an innate part of your personality. I've had good success bringing in people that may not, may not really understand the concept of how things work and, and kind of showing them how we do things and, and having them come in and be successful. Yeah, maybe jump into some of those uh, techniques that you have to train people on that maybe don't come naturally either based on their previous experience, you know, with an office culture or previous leadership experiences, you know, because I know that that happens a lot, too. And we've talked to other, other guests and experts about how, you know, the, the management paradigms really have to be um, upgraded. They're not they're not different, but you do need to sort of set different expectations. Um can you talk a little bit about those success factors? Yeah, I think the, the, 
the biggest thing, as I alluded to this earlier, but but you need to be trying to hire people that are that are really engaged and and you know bring people in the door that are really interested in the role, that are really interested in in the company and the technology you're working on. That's that's kind of number one. Um, but beyond that, you know, once you have once you've hired someone into a remote distributed team, the the well, number one thing that I usually focus people on is communication, and that's not to say that that people necessarily are bad communicators and that's why they struggle in remote or distributed teams. But I think the key point is you need to think about, you have to be much more sort of diligent and, and um, you have to be much more precise about how you choose to communicate. And the, the example I like to give people is that you're not just going to bump into somebody at the coffee machine or, or at the water cooler or in the break room. If you're, if you're a remote distributed employee. So if something important pops into your head during the middle of the day, you have to be very disciplined in the way you communicate in that you, you have to kind of force yourself to stop and go and ping that person or make a note or send an email at that moment or in that moment. Because what I've seen is that in an office environment, you can get away with going, yeah, I need to talk to, to, you know, Joan or John about, about this issue, but I'll, I'll probably run into them later. So I'll deal with that later. You can't do those kinds of things in a remote distributed team because all those things will just fall off your plate. And the tool sets obviously make a huge difference. Now, you've been doing this longer than there was reliable video chat, longer than there was um, Slack, you know, and, and tools of that nature. I wonder, have you seen it evolve to the point where the, the UX is, is much better and you don't have to try maybe as hard just to get around the, the issues with that? I think so. I mean, I think in the early years of me doing this, uh, we were all on the phone, right? We were using traditional teleconferencing to have meetings. And um, th this idea that you can do real-time video conferencing with people all around the world, people on the opposite side of the world from where you happen to be, is, is really, it's really a, a powerful tool for getting these things done. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof that you can do it with, with less sophisticated tools. But yeah, the tooling has certainly, certainly improved. And um, you know, the other thing that I would say about the way you communicate and the way you sort of manage projects and the way you do things in a distributed team is that um, we lean much more heavily on asynchronous communication methods than, than a typical team that's, that's co-located in an office would do. So, for example, um, I think one of the things that, that I try to help people learn when they come into one of the teams that I'm, I'm helping manage is, you don't need a meeting for everything. And in fact, if you're thinking about scheduling a meeting, the very first thing you should do is stop and go, do I really need this meeting? Because in my experience, some large percentage of the time, the answer is no. Um, uh, really, I think people, people get in a habit of leaning too much on face-to-face -face meetings when um, in a lot of cases, it's actually more practical and, and more, um, more beneficial to the way we manage projects to write these things down, put it in an email or, or um, start start a, open a ticket in your ticketing system, or um, or do something along those lines, document it in some sort of document, and, and share the length of that document with everybody, versus having to um, actually pull everybody into a meeting um, at any given time. So that's one of the things we we focus a lot on is really asking meetings and enabling the team, not not just the managers, but but everybody in the team to go, hey. Do we really need a meeting for this? No, no, it is not a bad word when it comes to scheduling meetings. It's like if, if you really don't think there's a, a, um, a need for a face-to-face -face meeting for this thing, say so. Because that it really empowers the entire team to be able to make the best use of their time. And, to, and it kind of forces everybody to think through how they communicate. 
One of the arguments that we sometimes get against asynchronous communication tools is that, uh, well, it's going to slow my cycle time if I have to, you know, post a message and wait till tomorrow for an answer, you know, for an ongoing issue. How do you go around stuff like that? So for some things, it's true. Asynchronous doesn't work. So if you're having a, a production outage, obviously you can't, you can't work a production network outage, for example, in an asynchronous way. It's, that's a situation where you really need to get everybody at, at least in something like a Slack channel or, on, or potentially even on a video conference. Um, but, but I think that's the bigger challenge, right, is helping people understand how to triage these things and understand which things are appropriate to use asynchronous communication for and which aren't. And how do you handle reporting and sort of how do people show their progress? Because it's, it's really easy to get to the point where you're kind of like, geez, what is, what is Chris doing? You know, I, I haven't heard from him or um, it must be a lot about trust and um, sort of delegating authority down the chain. But then how do you know what's going on? Yeah, so obviously, um, when it comes to tools and technology, a, a project tracking or, or, or ticket tracking system is, is a must in this environment. Um, you have to be able to sort of look at things. And most, and most of the cases where, where the, we assign work to people, it's, it's tied to some you know, issue tracking or t- ticket tracking system. And so you can always see what, what things are assigned to people. And it's actually really pretty straightforward with with Git and we use GitHub at Elastic. Um, so it's pretty easy to go through there and essentially see what work folks are doing. Um, and it's pretty obvious when people aren't making progress, if you're, if you're paying attention, um, you know, you don't really have to, I don't know that there's any advantage to having a person who is either struggling with a project, not making progress, or just, you know, if you have a person in your team, that's, that's just really not all that motivated and it isn't working all that hard. I'm not convinced you could actually tell that by looking across the office and seeing them sit at their desk versus having to do the kinds of things we have to do to keep track of projects in a distributed team. Does that make sense? I think my point is there's not that much of an advantage to have being able to just walk up and talk to them about it for for tracking those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think some of those old thought patterns just, you know, endure. How does it change the way that you act as a, a manager? Maybe you've had, great leaders for remote teams and maybe not so great leaders who kind of don't get it. What's, what's the difference there? Can you talk about that experience? The difference between great leaders and and not so great leaders. So um, it's a good question. You cannot, one of the things as a leader and a remote and a distributed team, one of the things you cannot absolutely cannot be as a micromanager. And if you're that kind of leader, it's probably not going to go well for you trying to lead a remote distributed team. Um, it, it's an environment where you have to try to hire, as I said, the best people you can find, people who are motivated and are really engaged in what you're trying to do and empower them to make decisions and trust them to, to come back. You know, that's, that's the other thing I stress a lot with, with the teams that I work with is um, don't be ashamed to come and say I'm having a problem. It's actually really important to do that early and often in those cases. Um, and, and you have to set the tone in your team that if you, if you come to me and say, I'm struggling, that's going to actually be celebrated versus looked down upon. It's, it's one of these things where, you know, the, the team actually runs the project. It, as soon as a leader, uh, you start thinking, Oh, so I'm in charge here and I have complete control over what's going on. That's kind of the, the, the first step to your own doom. In my opinion, you, you have to be the kind of, 
I mean, I, 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 I tend to describe the way I try to work with, with teams as, as being a servant leader. You know, my, my intent, my purpose here is not to, to um, stand over everyone in the team and not to try to, um, you know, dictate every, every detail of what everyone should do. Um, rather, I would prefer to have discussions about what we try to get accomplished and trust the folks in my team to, to make the right decisions or to come to me for help in cases where they either are stuck or, or they can't, you know, that they have some sort of an issue. They're not sure what to do. Um, you have to be able to trust your team to, to come back to leadership in those cases. What are some of the symptoms where maybe you need to pay attention and somebody isn't working out, you know, that they, they can't earn the trust of, of being remote and uh, of getting their work done? Like, how do you, how do you know and how do you mitigate that and, and maybe even, you know, have to just let them go? Yeah, I mean, obviously, having done this for a long time, it's, uh, there are cases where people just don't work out. And, and interestingly, uh, in all the years I've done this, I have seen very few people that are really trying to game the system, people that are really trying to just like not do any work and get paid for it. That in fact, I, I don't remember any examples of that. Um, the examples where I have had cases where people didn't work well, it is more around places where people have either that there are some people who struggle in a remote environment, not because they can't do the work, but because there, there are certain people who, who crave a little more of that, kind of in-person contact. So they, they actually like being in office, in an office. They like going to lunch with their coworkers. They like, um, you know, go, going out for, for drinks or dinner or whatever after work with, with, um, with folks they work with. And so, you know, for that subset of people, they're probably a better fit in an office, but it, I don't think that's specific to the work. In fact, I don't think any of it is specific to the work or how we, how we manage uh, projects or, or get things done. Um, you know, there's another set of people who, are, you know, hiring is, we actually, I've been lucky throughout my career that, that I've had kind of a very minimal set of missteps in terms of hiring people. I've pretty much always been lucky enough to hire really good people and find good people. There have been a handful of folks throughout my career that um, no matter how, how good a job you do trying to vet people during the interview process, you're, you're occasionally going to run into someone who it turns out is just not a very good technical fit. You know, their skill sets don't man it, don't exactly, and their strengths don't exactly match what you need for that role. And in those cases, you know, my, my first approach is to always try to develop those folks, to try to find a way to, um, because obviously we saw enough in them during the interview process to make us want to hire them. And we're in a situation now where their, their skill set and their abilities don't really match the job we're asking them to do. So my first question to myself is really always, is there something, is there a need in the team or in the company that they, they are a good match for? And if that's the case, um, we'll, we'll try to, to align them to that and have some discussions with those folks if that's if they're interested in doing those things and, and sort of try to work with the person to to get them to a place where they can be successful. Um, in other cases, it may be that they're not that they just need a little help. They may need some some enablement or some additional training. And so I try to go in those those directions. Um, that's that's usually what I tend toward. But I mean, I think again, that's not something that's different in a distributed team. Um, the only thing that's different is how do you figure out that they're not they're not doing well or that they're, they may be struggling in a particular area. And again, it comes back to communication. It comes back to, you know, communicating with the people in the team, doing, doing the one-on-ones and the, and the skip levels occasionally, and just keeping a pulse on you know, how their work output has been, the level of quality and, and whether or not they're, they're able to sort of do things in what's considered a reasonable period of time and, 
again, with the technology that we have today, it's, it's, it's not hard. It's, it's always really obvious when people are struggling, regardless of whether you're in a, a remote distributed team or, or in an office. Well, what are the daily things that someone should do when they're a member of a remote team? You know, what actual so, so, activities should they undertake so that they can be successful and, and make sure they develop that trust? Yeah, so habits, good habits for remote and distributed people. Sounds like that's what you're asking. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I think a lot of these are, a lot of the things I'm going to say will, again, overlap with things you should be doing anyway, no matter whether you're remote or whether you work in an office. But I think it's important to to have a plan. I think um, it's it's easy sometimes when people get busy to to fall into the, habit of just dealing with whatever fire crops up next. And um, obviously fires have to be put out, but at the end of the day, the, the way you can be the most successful is you start with a plan. And so if you have a set of work or things that are important, um, you know, I, I have uh, the way I personally do some of this is obviously have larger project plans and, and initiatives and, and documentation plans around that. But as far as a day to day kind of thing, I, you know, I, I keep a, a sort of a, uh, of an action items list for myself that I, that I review every day. I sit down every morning and I look at the things that, that I think I need to try to attack during the day. If I, if there's anything that, that has come up, um, over the last, you know, few hours since I, I stopped work yesterday, I, those things get added to the list. And then I, I try to stack rank those things and, and try to make sure that I'm, I'm making progress on the ones that really need progress in any given day. So, um, so that's one piece of it. I think the the other the other habit to get into as a remote and distributed employee is is to create yourself a bit of a routine, and that doesn't necessarily mean you always have to like sit in a home office. You know, I think it's actually one of the real benefits of being a remote employee is it gives you some flexibility. You can go work in a coffee shop, or you can sit outside on your on your porch, or you can choose to work from the couch on certain days. But um, I think I, I think having some routine, you know, certain hours of the day that you're going to be working, dedicate certain hours of the day to, to doing things like email or, or updating issues and issue tracking systems. It helps a lot when you do that um, because it, it can cut down on the distraction. You know, if you go in and block your calendar and say for this hour of the day and for that hour of each day, I'm going to be working on catching up with email, but I'm going to reserve the time in between to, to actually sit down and do design or do coding or, um, you know, you may, may have certain hours of the week you reserve for meetings um, to try to kind of create some some boundaries so that that one set of work tasks doesn't constantly um, overwhelm you know create a lot of noise that overwhelms other things and cause things to to fall off your plate. Great tips. Well, Chris, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Really good to have you on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.